Hey everyone, welcome to Resilience Unraveled. This podcast is the result of my fascination with subjects like resilience, accountability, burnout, life fulfillment and other life and work-based performance issues, as well as many of the other obsessions I bump into in my life. I spend my time working with highly successful teams, people and organisations, and this podcast introduces their remarkable stories and expertise, as well as my own synthesis of the key issues, strategies, tips, tools and resources to thrive in life. If you find this podcast useful, why not go over to our site qedod.com. If you'd like some resources on how to manage and beat burnout, head to qedod.com forward slash burnout 2019 for some goodies. Stay tuned to the end to find out details of how to order a free ebook. Enjoy the podcast. So today I'm very excited to be talking to Dr. Christine Adams. Um, so good afternoon, Christine. Good afternoon. Now I can tell by your accent you're not from the UK. So you're obviously from over the pond. Tell me where you are and <laughs> what's it like over there? Well, it's, uh, as they say in England, bloody cold. And I'm in the United States in the state of Kentucky, wow. in the largest city in Kentucky, Louisville. Right. Named for Louis the Fourteenth. That's where they have the Derby, isn't it? The uh, the, the famous horse That's race. That's where they have the Kentucky Derby, right? Yeah. And uh, we we're we're hosting your president at the moment, so um, things will be quietening ah. down in America for a little while. Right, right. <laughs> talk about emotional conditioning. That's someone who we need, really need to talk about later, perhaps. Yes. So, um, so um, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, I mean, to, to introduce a little bit to the UK audience, you're a psychiatrist and very noted as such. So um, why not tell me a little bit about who you are and how, what, what is it you're up to? Well, I'm a child, adolescent and adult psychiatrist, and I've been in practice for 40 years. And it's always been uh, pretty much private practice. Um, I have a practice where I do psychotherapy only, meaning long-term dynamic psychotherapy, where I see people for several years to help them make changes in their personality and to help them resolve anxiety and depression issues by and large. And... um, Last year, I co-authored with my mentor, Homer B. Martin, a book called Living on Automatic, which is about all of our findings working with patients for his 40 years and my 40 years. So we have 80 years of data on thousands of people that we saw anywhere from two to 15 years in psychotherapy. And uh, we put all these new findings in our book and we call uh, the findings emotional conditioning. Okay, uh, so be, before we get into the, the book, let's just chat a little bit more about okay. what you've said so far. So um, just to unpack it a bit, just as a, a very simple first question, um, how, how would you describe the difference between being a psychiatrist and a psychologist, which is what I am? How would you differentiate that? Well, in the United States, uh, psychiatrists are MDs, they're physicians. And they, by and large, prescribe medications, uh, do some cognitive behavioral therapy, but rarely do any long-term psychodynamic therapy anymore. Um, Medications have replaced that in the practice of most psychiatrists. Whereas in Europe, I think it's quite different. 
uh, psychiatrists still do psychotherapy. And um, that's the basic distinction right now. And psychologists, of course, do psychological testing as well as different forms of therapy. Yeah, that's right. Okay, that's fine. Just so we're we're sort of on the same page when it comes to because the the um, the drug element is is some is somehow different. It's, it's a resource not available to me. Do you do you see do you see any interesting trends about drug use and stress and anxiety at the moment in the states? Well, I think medication use has been increasing since the 1950s. You mean illicit drugs or you mean prescribed drugs? Oh, well, let's do prescribed drugs. I think that's easier. Yeah. Uh, prescriptions have been increasing for diagnoses of mental illnesses from psychiatrists since the 1950s. Um, there was extraordinary success in realizing that antipsychotic medications were effective in helping people get rid of psychotic episodes. And the same was thought to be true for antidepressants, but we've learned that antidepressants do not work as well in resolving depressions as antipsychotics work in resolving psychoses. Right. So the pendulum has begun to swing back a little bit from people only wanting medications and doctors only giving medications to people saying, you know, I'd like somebody to talk to about this. I've tried six or seven medications and they make me feel like a zombie and I don't want to go that route anymore, but I'd like somebody just to talk to and discover what it is that makes me depressed again and again or have relationship problems again and again or anxieties or problems with rearing my children. So I see the pendulum swinging back the other way, just beginning a little bit. Right. And there seems to be a massive explosion of stress, anxiety, depression, burnout, um, both in life and in the workplace. And do you think this is down to modern living? Do you think this is down to, um, some people call it this sort of the new generation and their inability to cope? Or do you think it's more to do with our general acceptance that mental conditions are um, easier to talk about these days? Well, I think it's probably a combination of those things. I think it's easier for people to talk about these things a little bit. Mm. Um, and I think that uh, there are a lot of stresses of life that are greater than they used to be. Um, but I think also there are a lot more what I call low coping people right. in the world uh, that don't feel they can cope well with ordinary things. And so they feel stress more acutely um, than people that cope better. And do you think the low coping, do you think the low coping um, condition or description is, is something that's learned or is it something that's, uh, is, has it been actively learned or is it sort of a social thing that's, that's just become prevalent over time? Well, what we learned and what we put in our book is that it's learned via emotional conditioning. Right. So in the first three years of life, it's learned from the way parents rear you. Right. And people that are low coping are reared very differently than high coping people. Yes. And I guess it's a link to the whole attachment theory as well, because that is that, is that part of, is that part of the equation? 
Well, I guess it could be considered to be attachment. What we discovered in essence is that people attach in different ways to each parent. Yeah. And that parents attach in each way differently to each child, even in the same family. So how, would that, so it's a, how, how does that happen? Well, it happens, we discovered via a form of classical conditioning, just like Ivan Pavlov conditioned his dogs to salivate. Whenever the handlers came in the room, he observed yeah. they salivated, even though the handlers brought no food. Yeah. So what, what we discovered is that parents emotionally shape children to conduct relationships in certain ways. And this happens by age three. By age three. And it has, yeah. And it has to do with their daily interactions with them. Right. Uh, an example is, um, say, a one-year-old's beginning to walk, and they're holding on to a small table, and they're trying to let go and take their first step. Well, one parent might be very, very uh, anxious about their child doing this and will rush in to assist them or yeah. to say, no, 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 yeah. you're going to fall. Let me get you. And they'll yeah. rush in and they'll yeah. pick them up. Another parent or the same parent with another child may say, oh, come on, you can do this. I'll be right here waiting for you. Take your first step and come forward and you can do it. You can do it. Yeah. So the emotional yeah. message is very different. The first child gets an emotional message of you have to be very cautious in life and somebody else has to help you all the time. Yes. The second child yes. gets a message of you can be bold, you can try things that I want you to do, and you can take your first step and you yeah. can do it unassisted. Yeah. So if you magnify these interactions over the first three years of life, hundreds of thousands of times daily, the personality begins to form in two different trajectories, right. depending right. on the type of emotional conditioning. And each child learns a different way of relating to other people in relationships. Right. So the, so the, um, the parenting style can differentiate between a first and second or third child as they develop more confidence and therefore you'd expect to see a different personality from those children. Would that be right? Well, what we discovered is that these are different with each child. The first child can be raised one of those ways or the other, and then the next child will probably alternate. It'll probably be raised differently than the first one. Yes. And then the third one, the third child in the family could be raised like the first one or like the second one. Yes. So it sort of alternates and it has to do with by and large what's inside the parent's head at the time the child is born. And it also has some things to do with family stressors, stressors in the marriage. Yeah. And do you see any correlation between older and younger parents? Because one would imagine, um, although with no evidence to back it up, that um, younger parents might have less confidence. 
Younger meaning what? Age-wise, age yeah. Age, literally, the difference between someone who's in their late teens versus someone who's in their early 30s with the first yeah. child, for example. We did not see any difference by age. Um, yeah. it's, it has to do more with your first child or your second child or your third child. So does Most this mean, first does, children. So does this mean we literally are fighting the parental conditioning for the rest of our lives? Is, is that sort of our, our destiny as, as adults, really? You got it. That's, hey. that's what we do. And we invented a form of therapy that incorporates dynamic psychotherapy and into the process of deconditioning people in therapy. So we help them unravel their early emotional conditioning in their life and then take steps to correct it so that instead of just functioning one way in their close relationships, they can expand the ways that they are and relate to people into a broader vista. So, so, so giving your, your ideas, uh, I'm imagining an anxious parent produces a cautious child who you describe as low, low, um, uh, low coping, and um, they, they are what I would describe as lacking some form of resilience. Or do they have very good resilience because they're always coping and learning? Or is that the point of the therapy? How, 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 do, how would you characterize that? Well, you know, resilience, most people define as a return to a prior well-functioning state. But what we discovered is due to this conditioning process, people don't have a prior well-functioning state. Right. So they are um, compromised in terms of being able to be resilient and that what people do when they suffer a relationship breakup or divorce or an illness is they go right back to coping and conducting their relationships the same way they did before the illness or the divorce. So right. that makes so sense. This and so you get the situation where you, you have an abusive um, relationship. You go, if you have another relationship, you have another re abusive relationship because you're, you don't know what a, a steady state or a normal relationship would look like. Is that right? Right. You know, this was what Albert Einstein said is the definition of insanity. Yeah. Doing the same old thing and then expecting a different outcome. Yeah. So what we discovered is when people say a person gets divorced and they're re-entering the dating scene and the only equipment they have in looking for somebody to date is the same equipment and the same approach that they had the first time around. Yeah. So their resilience is low yeah. and their capacity to find a new person and relate to them in a new way is very low. So their stress is high. So in order to reduce their stress and build their resilience, they have to do some deconditioning and they have to learn uh, new ways of, of approaching uh, relationships that they didn't know before. And then so, to unlearn some of the things from I childhood. Understand. So you're saying it is actually possible to change this state through what you're calling deconditioning or learning or therapy or psychodynamic therapy or whatever the technique might be. So there's hope for anybody, even if they've been parented quite poorly. 
Yes, that's what we found. That, that, that Most people think that you can't change your personality once it's set, but you really can. Yeah. We've, just, we've worked with people for many years and changed a lot of people, helped them yeah. change. So how do you describe personality? Because there are many different definitions of it, aren't there? That's part of the challenge with us, uh, with, our, with our community of practice, isn't it? Well, we, we, in the book, Living on Automatic, that we wrote, we refer to um, the emotional conditioning as producing a personality type or a role that a person is in in relationships. Yeah. And so it's, it's sort of our definition is linked to how you function. It's linked to your role with other people. Yeah. So by, by definition, if you define it that way, it will change because your social context will change throughout life. Well, it'll only change, though, if you deliberately work on changing it. Like if you're a low coping person, um, the, the thing you need to learn to do in life to create your own growth and resilience is you've got to deal with your dreaded inertia. You've got to learn how to increase your responsibility toward yourself and toward other people. You've got to do the very things that make you uncomfortable, which are standing on your own two feet, doing your own grocery shopping, doing your own laundry and not expecting other people to step up and do it for you. Uh, when you do that, if you're a low coper, you'll feel a surge of self-confidence and it builds your resilience because you expand your ways of coping and conducting your relationships. And you no longer have to just be helpless and act one way. You can now be helpful at times. You can still ask for help. You can offer help. You can do things for other people. And then if you're a high coper, uh, what you learn when you become deconditioned is you learn how to better take care of yourself because high copers are very good at giving care to low copers, but they're not very good at giving care to themselves. I see. So you, you learn how to give care to yourself. You learn how to ask others for support when you need it. You learn to say no to people that are trespassing on your boundaries or asking too much of you. And when you do this, you decrease your stress and you attain some resilience because you no longer just see yourself as a person who responds in a knee-jerk fashion to needy people. Um, And you put limits on people. And so your your confidence and your self-esteem grows. Right. So that's what deconditioning helps each one of those personality types do. And what might deconditioning look like? What's that process consist of? In therapy? Yeah, I mean, is it a therapeutic process? Is it CBD, CB, CBD, CBT? Is it, um, <laughs> I was going to come back to CBD in a minute, funny enough. Um, no, is, is it any of those uh, things? No, we did it through long-term dynamic psychotherapy. We work with each person to go back into their childhood and figure out what the emotional patterns were that they learned from their parents and how they're operating in the present in their life in a dysfunctional way. So we sort of thread the eye through through the eye of the needle going back to childhood 
bringing it forward in time. And then the person, that's the first part of therapy. And then the second part of therapy deals with, okay, with the knowledge that you now have, how do you make changes in your life? How do you begin to actively do this? So what we thought was in the book, we wrote the book for general readers living on automatic so that they can begin to do some of this for themselves. They can begin to decondition themselves. And if they need the help of a therapist, then they should go to therapy and work on it with a third person. But some of it can be done yourself. And that's what the book is about. So, so I'm guessing this is important because you don't want this perpetual cascade of poor parenting. And I'm guessing that if you are a low coper and you have kids, you're obviously going to parent them in that same way and then keep producing more low copers. Is that, is that right? No, you'll also produce high copers because okay. with some of your children, as you rear them, you will have a role reverse relationship with them and you will expect emotional nurturance from your children right. rather than giving to your children. And that's how, and that's how they cope. And that's how you produce a high coper. Right. If you're a low coping parent. Yeah, that makes sense. If you produce, yeah, and then you produce a low coping child by doing everything for them. Of course. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. It's one of those, it's a brilliantly simple idea, but sometimes the simplest ideas are the most clever, aren't they? Because actually it takes a lot of work to come up with a simple idea. Um, you say right, once people get the hang of it, they, yes. they say, aha, I get it now. Yeah, <laughs> but it right. takes a while. You said earlier that you you wrote it for the, um, I was actually going to ask you who, which audience did you write the book for, but you actually said it, you wrote it for a general audience. And and, and that was the motivation, was it? It was to help people almost um, gain control of their own deconditioning process. Yes, there are so many people in the world that don't have access to good therapy. And we realized, I've taught classes on this at a local uh, university, and the people who take the classes are general audience, and they have really benefited and said that it has really helped them just my teaching them and not them being patients in psychotherapy with me. So that was what prompted Dr. Martin to start writing the book, uh, was to see, can we help a broader audience based on all the knowledge that we have over 80 years of working with people? Yeah. Can it help people? And the answer was, yes, it can. And what's interesting is if you look at the reviews of the book uh, on Amazon in particular, but there's other reviews as well. Um, people say it's more than a self-help book. It does have specific techniques, but it's more than just that. But what sort of techniques are contained in the book to help people get started? Well, there are a lot of self-assessment questions to ask yourself about your childhood. Yeah. and your parents and um, your upbringing and your experience about work and about uh, love relationships in growing up. So the questions are designed to make people be introspective and think about their life yeah. and answer as many questions as they can. Uh, there's also the last, I think, two chapters of the book have um, – some specifics on the way you override your early emotional conditioning, which happens on autopilot 
It's the way you stop something happening on autopilot is you make yourself stop and think about the situation you're in. Yes. Because what we tend to do is we just react automatically to people that we're closest to without any consideration of, okay, what does the situation call for? Yeah. Not what does the person call for, but what does the situation call for? So you get yourself to observe, you get yourself to think, and then you get yourself to decide on a course of action and communication and question asking of the other person about what you're going to do in a situation. So you essentially put everything down in slow motion and engage in thinking and observing and asking questions and then decide what to do instead of having an automatic autopilot knee-jerk reaction. I see. So, so you're building self-awareness and that, that's sort of the first, the first step. And then there are choices rolling forward from that. And, and it's not just geared basically towards parents, is it? The, the book has a sort of a wider um, use. No, it's, um, it's got information for parents and grandparents. It's got information on love relationships, um, divorce, after divorce, um, custody problems in children. Um, it's uh, got lots of case examples. Uh, people from all walks of life, all ages, uh, all sexual gender orientations. Um, so we tried to cover the waterfront in a variety of people. And yeah. there's a lot of case vignettes. And then at the back of the book, there are a list of books to read, um, plays, and movies that people can watch if they want to learn more about these types of relationships. Oh, that's interesting. What, what, which movies do you tend to recommend? Well, I use them in teaching, and I've taught uh, Ordinary People, The Door and the Floor, uh, Remains of the Day, oh, yeah. uh, HUD, um, Gran Torino. Oh, wow. Um, that's a good film. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah. I've taught a variety of films that exemplify the different types of emotional conditioning in people yeah. and how they interact. Yes. Hmm, fascinating. I, I mean, I, I bought the book and uh, have been, um, I know you sent very kindly sent me some information, but I've been starting it myself. So I'm, read, I'm reading it at the moment. So um, Good. I'm finding it fascinating, actually. And, and I think that what's impressed me most about it is that um, it, you've, you've, you've written it. There are a lot of people in psychiatry who talk down to the general population, but this doesn't at all. It's, it treats the, the reader as an adult. And it's, you know, gives you good information, but, you know, it's very, very accessible at the same time. Oh, thank you. Thank no, you. I'm welcome. glad you like it. So, so tell me, tell me a little bit more about how I can find it and who, who should, who should buy it? Well, anybody should buy it who's interested in relationships, whether with their children, their spouse, uh, brothers, sisters, parents, it's really for all ages. Uh, we found that people don't tend to get interested very much in this subject matter until they reach 40s and yeah. have some sort of crisis in their life with point. their children or with their spouse. Yeah. And then they start scratching their head and saying, whose children are these? They don't look like mine. <laughs> or why am I having conflict with my spouse all the time? Uh, 
And the book is available at Amazon uh, in the United States. I don't know if it's available abroad at a bookseller called Barnes and Noble. And um, then it's available directly from the publisher in the United States. The publisher is Prager, P-R-A-E-G-E-R.com. Perfect. And people can go and have a look at um, a very interesting blog on your own personal website, which is, um, do you want to tell us about that? Yes. My website is doctor, spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R, Christine with a C-H, adams.com. So it's drchristineadams.com. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and YouTube. I have several videos on YouTube. Uh, absolutely fascinating. And, um, and it's, it's been well recognized, just um, both uh, by reviews, but also by the sort of professional community. So I heartily recommend it. Um, Wow. Well, thank you for spending time with us today. I've, um, it's, uh, and, I, and I know there's never enough time to really drill into these subjects in a huge amount of detail, but hopefully everyone's got a bit of a view about, about this idea of emotional conditioning. I think, I think you've come up with something that's really quite uh, well significant. You, you, I think we both know what we mean by that word. So um, thank you for spending time with us today. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. You take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. You can go to our site qedod.com forward slash podcasts and subscribe to hear other titles in our series. Or you can contact us at info at qedod.com to hear and find out more about tough love, leadership, accountability, resilience and burnout. You can go to our site qedod.com forward slash burnout 2019 to hear and get access to a load of resources to help you manage and fight burnout. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash free ebook to hear more about the fundamentals of resilience. Until the next episode, keep on thriving.